Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you to these hard times. Dada, with episode 217 of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again. We are here to talk all things NXT and AEW during a very special four episode week here at Getting Over. Vintage Chris Vanini will join me later in the show to talk all things AEW, but because we are taping this episode Wednesday night, as soon as Dynamite goes off the air, we've rearranged some things this week. We're going to talk NXT off the top. We're going to talk AEW on the back end. We have plenty to go over on today's show. So with that, let's get right into it and remind you that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast So please do me a favor. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King Adam Silverstein, Vintage Chris Vanini, and the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Drop a five-star rating and review. Let people know how much you love the show. Tell your friends and family about it. Tell your doctor, your barber, uh, the person who walks your dog, anyone you know who likes professional wrestling. Tell them to listen to the Getting Over wrestling podcast and please do not forget to follow us on twitter at getting Overcast. as i said we are going to mix things up this week recently we've been talking aew on top we're going to talk nxt on top because the silver king is flying solo in the early portion of this recording for anyone who only wants to listen to our aew breakdowns or for anyone who only wants to listen to our nxt breakdowns in other weeks please remember that we have timestamps in our episode description. So you can jump ahead, jump back and forth. You do whatever the hell you want. You will know when our NXT talk starts and when our AEW talk starts every single week. But of course, I do hope you listen to the entire episode. So with that out of the way, let's get into it. Let's talk NXT. Uh, We're going to go through it. I thought it was a very good show. The best of the new NXT episodes that we've gotten over the last three weeks, even though ratings have it the lowest of the last three weeks, which is certainly a disappointment. But nevertheless, uh, I thought it was the best episode of the three. It started with Hit Row. Uh, They were in the ring, basically acting like hosts, breaking down the entire card, making jokes and giving BFAB the chance to talk trash on Electro Lopez. If I had the choice, I'd probably have focused the promo more on Legado del Fantasma and the segment itself rather than breaking down the entire show. But they did do a good job. We got BFAB and Lopez in a no disqualification match right off the bat. The match began as soon as Lopez came out with the six guys all brawling at ringside. The men cleared out and they did a tug of war with the table, the women. BFAB went nuts with a kendo stick and Lopez took BFAB out with a crossbody through an open chair in a pretty sick spot. Electra then hit our rotating sit down powerbomb from the side of her body and she got the win. This was about 10 minutes with a commercial, uh, which is what you want from any match as a minimum. Lopez, as the more experienced wrestler, at this point was the right winner, and she got a chance to show out with a clean win against the more neophyte BFAB. But it was an entertaining opening, all things considered. Uh, Joe Gacy said he made a huge impact on NXT last week, and he has not been canceled. He said he's inclusive and ready to introduce a new normal to NXT. There was some controversy last week over this character, and WWE even actually pulled down the video after a few right-wing media outlets picked it up saying that he was a commentary from WWE 
on woke culture, which is not really what the character was, but because other people took it that way, WWE, it seems, has tweaked it and altered it and changed it a little bit. I thought the stories written last week were exaggerated. I think WWE pulling it and changing it is ridiculous, but that's okay. Now we have a more bastardized, simple version of the gimmick that he was doing. And because of that, to me, it rang hollow, which is a shame. But what has been notable through two weeks is this guy's personality. He can cut a promo on the mic. So there is something there with him. They just need to hone it in and figure out what it's going to be. Uh, we had Zion Quinn against Oni Lorcan. Quinn is Daniel Vidot, a former Australian footballer with a great look. I believe he's also Samoan. Uh, Quinn took some shots and then found a second wind, turning Lorcan inside out, hitting a Samoan drop, doing a kip up, and finishing Lorcan with a running elbow to the face. For a younger guy without much experience, it was a good showing, and he definitely has potential. MSK was interviewed in the ring. During their entrance, they got booed by those same idiot group of like 20 to 30 fans, Izzy's parents, and all those people. It's honestly a total joke. Stop booing MSK. It's stupid. You're literally hurting the product that you're trying to support. MSK said they're welcoming all challengers, veteran or rookie. Grizzled Young Veterans said that their title reign, MSK's title reign, means nothing until they defend against them. Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams came out saying they might challenge for them given Carmelo has the contract. GYV said the line starts behind them, and they couldn't even understand what all of them were saying. Then Josh Briggs and Brooks Jensen came out, Trick tore them down, the teams brawled, and MSK took them all out. So it seems like we're going to maybe get a triple threat number one contenders match. I did think it was actually a pretty good segment, but the crowd was silent trying to listen. And because of that, it didn't really come off as exciting as it actually was. We had a women's tag team championship match, Io Shirai and Zoe Stark against Toxic Attraction. Stark flung herself over the top rope with a cool twisting senton. The champions did a double missile dropkick and Stark splashed JC Jane outside. Gigi Dolan then hit a cannonball senton into Stark outside the ring. And Shirai came back with a moonsault into both challengers. Stark attempted what looked like a really cool corkscrew moonsault, but she landed on her feet. Shride hit a 619 and a missile dropkick on Dolan before locking both challengers in a double crossface. Stark kicked out at a 2.9 after a German suplex bridge from Dolan. Stark then used her flipping lifting knee to take out Jane. Stark eliminated Dolan with this really unique splash and got in Mandy's face as Shirai hit a palm strike and a moonsault onto Jane for the 1-2-3. It was a really fun match. It got 13 minutes. And it even got a this is awesome chant from the crowd. I thought for sure the champions were going to lose given the WWE draft is coming up. I assumed they would draft Io Shirai, but they looked really good retaining the titles and both Dolan and Jane were up to the task matching them blow for blow in the ring. I went 3.25 stars and a B for this. I might even watch it again. That's how much I liked it. One more thing. I've said this before, but Zoe Stark could be on the main roster yesterday. She has a Trish Stratus aura to her. She's super talented in the ring. Plus, she's not a bad promo at all. I would love to see her, whether it's this year, maybe it's next year, get the same shot in WWE that she got in NXT to be sent almost not into the main event picture, but right to the top of the card pretty quickly as a legitimate performer who they can use at any time. Zoe Stark has a huge future in wrestling, and I hope, obviously, it's an NXT and WWE. Uh, Braun Breaker got a vignette where he said he didn't give a shit if people were bothered by him. He was there to make, to be NXT champion and not to make friends. He had a great line, if you want a friend, get a dog. And he told Tommaso Ciampa to watch his back. I hate the idea of Breaker potentially becoming champion too soon, 
But other than that, it was a very strong promo and a good vignette. Champa FaceTimed into NXT from his home gym, saying he received Braun's message. And when they eventually fight, it'll happen sooner than later, but Braun will drown in an ocean of inexperience. It was a typically great promo from Champa, and I loved the concept of him not being scheduled for the show, yet seeing something on his television and calling in and immediately responding to it. That felt fresh and new and very different and interesting. We had Boa fight Andre Chase. The start of this was hysterical with Chase making his entrance past Mei Ying, looking at her and kind of talking trash to her while she stood there motionless. Chase said Boa had a lot to learn, got kicked out of the ring. Mei Ying blew smoke or vapors in his face, and then Boa hit an inverted slam for the win. It was a good opportunity for Boa to get a rare win. I also think I'm coming around a little bit on the Chase character. He looks to me like Tom Green from Road Trip. That's what I think of every time I see him. But I did find this somewhat entertaining, although it was obviously nothing much. Uh, We also got the Index honeymoon on this show. Index was having fun on the beach while Johnny Gargano and Candice LeRae watched with binoculars from a balcony. And then Gargano put on a shark fin and swam in the ocean to scare them out of the ocean. Johnny earlier was wearing a Hawaiian shirt with bananas on it, which was hysterical, referring back to cuckoo bananas, the stuff he was doing with Regal. Later, Candace asked, what's the worst that can happen in the hotel room with Indy Hartwell and Dexter Loomis? And then she looked down at her pregnant belly, and that was another funny moment. Gargano broke into the hotel room, found a bunch of condoms, uh, but unraveled like two dozen of them as Index finally entered the hotel room. So when they came in, he jumped into the closet. It sounded like they were having sex, but they were actually having a pillow fight. Gargano tried to sneak out while they were taking a nap, but Loomis was still awake. He stared at him pulled condoms out of his robe, the whole string of them, and then gave a thumbs up. And it was straight up hilarious. The wedding, they they ruled, they kicked ass on that. The honeymoon was great too. Very funny stuff. Uh, There was a cruiserweight championship match, Roderick Strong against Grayson Waller. Before the match, Waller explained he's a thrill junkie who jumps out of planes, snowboards, surfs, etc. It was actually good to get some context for him. And it was even better because he jumped strong from behind before the match in a very high energy daredevil type of way that kind of wrapped up the entire thing together. Strong hit a backbreaker plus a brain buster for a near fall. Waller came back with a sloppy missile dropkick and a discus elbow plus a springboard between the legs elbow drop halfway across the ring for a near fall. Waller then hit a tope con hero and a rolling cutter for a 2.8 count, got the crowd on its feet. They were really excited. It was a really big hope spot, but Strong caught him with a flying knee and pinned him clean one, two, three. This honestly, completely exceeded my expectations. What a pleasant surprise Grayson Waller was, especially when through the appearances he's made to this point, I didn't care about him at all. But after this show, I believe Grayson Waller may just have it. And he's obviously still green. So for him to be able to show that already was pretty impressive. The one disconnect for me is that Waller is this thrill seeker this energy junkie, but he dresses like a boxer and makes basketball references. I know there's a reason for the boxing gear. He's explained it, but it hasn't been explained on television. And the basketball stuff just doesn't fit into any of it. Other than that, the guy has a good look. He's a good promo and he's clearly talented in the ring. So he has a high ceiling, but I want them to tighten up the package if that makes sense, figure out exactly what he's going to be and present him specifically as that. LA Knight said he challenged Odyssey Jones to a match next week, 
because he's the uncrowned NXT champion and Jones shouldn't be talking shit yet. Jones walked up and said Knight's never seen anyone like him. They got distracted by Andre Chase complaining, so Knight took Jones out. This was fine, nothing special. I just hope it's not Knight taking the fall for another rookie. Dante Chen got a basic vignette about representing Singapore. Cora Jade was then with Trey Baxter backstage, cutting a promo saying she's the youngest person on the show and ready, ready to leave her mark on the women's division. Baxter said she'll do great as long as she doesn't fail like he did. They kissed. There was nothing much to say about either of them, but I think it would be kind of fun to see like a young Instagram couple type of gimmick. And I don't know if that's the direction they're going, but I think it'd be cool if they did. Uh, we had Lashing Out, which was a talk show segment. It was the debut of it. The character is Lash Legend, and it was taped in a club. It looked like it was in a comedy club, but nevertheless. She put herself over for her basketball career at Mississippi State and for being drafted by the WNBA. I think it's kind of a Wendy Williams type of gimmick. It was definitely unique. Not for me at all. That's okay. Not everything is made for me, an older white dude watching TV. You know, you're trying to appeal to a wide audience, but Wendy Williams, 0.0. And therefore this automatically for me kind of starts something I don't have any interest in watching. I do think it has the potential to work for NXT. And I do think it has the potential to work for Lash Legend. The other question is that name, Lash Legend. I mean, Lash is a first name. Okay. I think that could work. Legend as a last name it doesn't fit. She, How is she a legend? You know, it's kind of like when they introduced Undisputed Era. It's like, what is an Undisputed Era? It's it's nothing. It doesn't make sense together. So Lash Legend, the name for me doesn't work. I would just call her Lash. I don't know why you, she can't be a single name person. Like, I think that would work fantastic for her. So that's the direction I would go. I assume they don't do that for trademark reasons, copyright reasons, but that's what I would do. Uh, we got Ridge Holland against Kyle O'Reilly. O'Reilly attacked Holland before the match, but when Pete Dunn joined, they all got separated. Holland dominated most of the match, hitting a gut wrench powerbomb late. Dunn came back as O'Reilly was ready for his flying knee, distracting Kyle O'Reilly. O'Reilly then avoided an attack from Holland while he was distracted. He took Holland, he ran him into Dunn, rolled him up for the win. The Brits attacked, but Von Wagner made the save to a nice ovation from fans. So it surely seems like we'll get Kyle O'Reilly and Von Wagner against Ridge Holland and Pete Dunn. Match was okay, nothing special, nothing worth giving a grade to. Uh, Tony D'Angelo was at the docks with his thick Italian accent. I hate this so much, I really do. I am willing and hopeful to be proven wrong. I just don't think I'm gonna be. He debuts next week on NXT, so at least the vignettes get to end. And then lastly, the main event, the Women's Championship, Raquel Gonzalez against Frankie Monet. Gonzalez was cutting a promo backstage when Mandy Rose walked by said the title looked good on Raquel, but it would look even better on her. Monet ripped Gonzalez off the steel steps, slamming her onto the ground. She dominated Gonzalez offensively, which was a rare sight, and she talked trash in Spanish a lot during the match. Gonzalez hit her twisting Vader bomb for a near fall. Gonzalez then caught Monet running at her with the Chingoa bomb, and that was the win and title retention. After the match, Toxic Attraction came down, attacked Monet, Robertstone, and Jesse Camia, before going after Gonzalez around the ring shield style. She fought them off twice, but eventually succumbed to the numbers game as Mandy hit a pump knee into Gonzalez's face to stand tall in the end. So a lot to talk about here. I like Frankie Monet a lot. This match was not good. There were numerous moments that were just extremely rough, uh, punches and kicks and knees missing and people selling stuff that didn't happen. It just really wasn't good. 
Given the draft was forthcoming and both women's titles were on the line during this show, it was a bit surprising to see neither title change hands. But when we got the post-match with Mandy standing tall at the end and holding the title, it did make a lot of sense. Maybe there ends up being a title match next week. I don't particularly want Gonzalez to leave, but you have to imagine the main roster wants her sooner than later. She's really made to be on the main roster. But regardless, this paled into compar- in comparison to the women's tag team title match. This was fine as a main event. It should have been way stronger. Frankie Monet is way better than she was in this match. And Raquel Gonzalez is way better than she was in this match. Uh, but th- this episode of NXT, top to bottom, it was my favorite of the three to this point. The reason why, even though we did not have the Casper brothers, you know, we didn't have the Creeds, uh, Braun Breaker didn't wrestle. Those are some of the highlights that we've seen recently. But I talked about on last week's show, the way NXT could improve is to ensure that less happens. Don't do too much. And the first two weeks, there were way too many matches that were way too short. And there were way too many people being introduced, way too many vignettes, promos. Nothing was given time to breathe. This week on NXT, they allowed everything time to breathe. There were still seven matches on the show, but because they cut down on the vignettes and the promos and the introductions, those matches got more time to breathe. This felt like a modernized version of the old NXT on WWE Network back in the day, rather than a chaotic, extremely colorful, crazy scene like we've gotten the last two weeks. Now, at the same time, ratings were down significantly. I believe like about 75,000 fewer people watched this episode as opposed to last week. That's not good. And I'm wondering if that's a retention problem, given the issues that I mentioned that we saw in last week's episode. It could just be happenstance. Maybe there was a big news item I'm not remembering, or there was a big piece of competition on television last night that I'm not considering. But for one reason or another, the ratings were down for NXT, and obviously, They want to and need to be in that 700,000 range. Going back to the 600,000 range, uh, long-term is not going to be good for its potential longevity, in my opinion, at least, on USA Network. Okay, so that's it for NXT. Thank you all, of course, for listening to that. Let me bring in vintage Chris Vanini. We're going to chat AEW. And and the way I've been doing it recently with AEW when Chris has been on and even when he hasn't been, um, look, it's tough, right? Because Rampage is Friday. And we end up taping this the following Wednesday or Thursday. And it's just really difficult to kind of cover Rampage almost a full week later because we don't have another show where it would make sense to do it. So I've coupled the Rampage segments with the appropriate Dynamite segments. And to my somewhat dismay, Chris, and you can tell me what you think, I was kind of hoping Rampage would operate not as a completely separate show, but I thought it would be nice if Rampage had some feuds and storylines that were exclusive to it. That way it gave you a reason if you like certain people to watch that show. You have one match or a feud and then the next week, rather than book it for Dynamite, you're booking it for Rampage, you're coming back for that same thing. But what ended up happening, and and when I was kind of breaking it down here, there were no no segments that happened on Rampage that did not directly relate to something that happened this week on, on AEW Dynamite. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the that's what the WWE brand split is. It, it, it's just meant to give a spotlight to more individual more people. people. Right. Yeah. And, you know, AEW's done a good job of 
planning a week out to let you know, hey, we got a match coming on Dynamite. We got a match coming on Rampage. Mm -hmm. But the problem is you end up hearing from most of these people in some form every show leading up to it, even if it's just a backstage promo, which there are numerous of. Um, And especially since Rampage is is filmed right after Dynamite, it'd be pretty easy to separate it a bit. But, you know, I understand wanting to get a lot of the star people on your new show uh, a bit more. And so you kind of maybe have two promo segments in a taping or something like that. So, you know, like, I think they're kind of I, I think the women like I think the women's are a great example. The women this past week, the women's match that happened on Rampage directly relate uh, directly relayed to a women's match on Dynamite. That's a little unfortunate. This week, the Rampage match is a triple threat for the women. It's completely unrelated to the match we got on Dynamite. So that that to me is how I would prefer it to go a little bit where there's separate bookings that you can promote the Wednesday before, um, but are still their own storyline. And, you know, that would be my hope a little bit more going forward than it's been recently. So because of that, my point is that I'm not going to talk Rampage and Dynamite separate. We are not going to talk Rampage and Dynamite separate. I'm just going to try to group them together as much as we possibly can. Talk about the same wrestlers at the same time. That That's what I was getting at. Yep. So Dynamite opened on Wednesday with like a five minute CM Punk entrance. Um, they explained that the show was benefiting a new Brody Lee, John Huber charity, but they didn't really provide any on-screen information for it. They did later in the show, but they didn't during the opening, which was really, in my opinion, the time to do that. And I appreciate that AEW is trying to give fans CM Punk every week, but it always feels like much ado about nothing when he just goes on commentary, right? They did it last week with Ta- with Taz. Taz beat him up, or not Taz, um, uh, Powerhouse Hobbs to set up the Rampage match. And then this week he was there for the entire show, which was great. And Punk is great on commentary, but it almost feels like you're almost doing it purely so that the crowd can see his entrance, but they don't really get the full CM Punk experience, if that makes sense. Well, I don't think it's just the people there. I think it's it's watching on TV like like a True. lot of Punk got a lot of people back into wrestling back in 2011 when he cut the promo. And, you know, when he came back and when Brian Danielson came back, I, I said, I think you need to acknowledge these guys on almost every show you can because people are tuning in for them. So I, <coughs> I agree. It's kind of just a way to get them on there. I think he's fine on commentary. I think the bigger issue is just how many people are on commentary. Um, but I, I get it. I, I don't have much of a problem with it. Sometimes it's a little a, a lot of people talking at once, but I get what they're going for. And I think it's a good idea. Yeah, no, it's a good idea to get him on. I just given that he's in this deep storyline, I, I I'd like a little bit more development week to week. I sure. Guess yeah, yeah. This week in particular, but but I want to say this week was a special episode, right? Uh, they were in Rochester, New York. I should have clarified that off the top. Um, honoring Brody Lee, of course, that's where he's from. So if you're putting CM Punk on commentary this week, just to make sure he's on the show and to pop people because it's a tribute show and all that type of stuff, then okay, separately that's cool. But I think. If every other week CM Punk is on commentary, that's going to wear on me. That's really what I'm getting at. Um, I, I do agree. I do agree, though, that if he's there, you should try to acknowledge in advance his whatever storyline, uh, you know, at least whenever yeah, he's on there. Yeah, and just try to get him on in, in the ring. It doesn't have to even be a, a match, a promo. Just, you know, that people want to hear sure. him speak. They don't just want to see him walk around the ring. That's kind of what I was getting at. Uh, but speaking of Punk and Hobbs, uh, they had their match on Rampage. Most of the offense was from Hobbs. The crowd cheered, but wasn't exceptionally hot. I thought that was a little strange. I I assume they were just tired because this was taped as part of the Grand Slam show. Punk went high risk with a Macho Man homage elbow drop for a near fall. Hobbs came back with a really nice spinebuster and a stampede slam for a near fall. Hobbs caught 
uh, Punk as he tried to hurricanrana, and they went to do the move, completely botched it, with Hobbs falling on his head. Hobbs lifted Punk for a sit-down powerbomb and a near fall. Punk kicked Hobbs, who ran into hook on the ring apron, and then ate the GTS for the Punk win. I was just surprised that for some reason I didn't enjoy this match. I love Punk. I really like Hobbs. Yet this pairing didn't work for me. Maybe it was too slow. Punk is still maybe a little bit rusty. Hobbs is still maybe a little bit green. But in totality, it didn't work. But of course, Punk winning was the correct booking. Yeah, you know, these first handful of Punk matches coming back, people want to see him win. He's got to work off the ring rust. Um, we, we saw that, I think, a bit in this uh, match. It was fine. We're, again, we're still at the point. You know, Punk is not the best wrestler in the world anymore. It, it's He is a, a spectacle, and that's ultimately, I think, what you're trying to get out of him. Um, so this could have been better. You're right. Speaking of the crowd, I mean, they they filmed probably five hours if you count dark and dark elevation plus dynamite plus a two hour rampage so no they didn't um, they didn't film those uh at grand slam at grand slam they did some dark matches though yeah I'm but they sure didn't they do did. dark and dark elevation they just did like regular dark matches okay like, sure, okay they got some dark matches but either way it was yeah. more than four hours of wrestling so yes, yes. understandable it's yeah. understandable at times that crowd might have been a bit uh, oh yeah no and yeah. every rampage the every every grand slam match on rampage the crowd seemed mostly dead and it wasn't dead because they didn't care about the action. It was just in comparison to the, the energy they had for dynamite and, yeah. and the matches that we got on dynamite. So it's all, it's all comparative. It's not like on their own being a bad crowd. We're not talking about Lafayette raw here. You know what I mean? The, the yeah. crowd was great. It just wasn't as high energy as it was for other. Yeah. Things. And um, one more thing about the, one more thing on yeah. CM Punk about just the, 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 him being there is kind of the point. We saw that on dynamite with all the CM Punk chants uh, outside of his, outside of his debut, maybe the most we've had in AEW. kind of surprising. Um, yeah. They chanted for him like three or four times on the show. It yeah. stuck out quite a bit. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, on Rampage also, we had Adam Cole and the Young Bucks against Christian Cage and Jurassic Express. There was a bunch of comedy. Luchasaurus chokeslam Cole onto Matt Jackson in a really cool spot. The faces combined for a hurricanrana by Jungle Boy onto Nick, a German suplex onto Matt, and a splash by Christian for a near fall. Then there was a full tornado match with no tagging. Christian speared a buck on the ramp but got low blowed. Then Christian and Jungle Boy got thrown off the ramp. Cole hit a Panama Sunrise. That was really impressive because Luchasaurus is so big. Yeah. Uh, followed by the BTE trigger and the last shot for the win. Some of the spots were great. I thought the thing was all over the place. It's exactly what I don't like from the Bucks and from most AEW tag team matches. There wasn't any psychology to the entire thing. Were there big spots? Yes. Is it a match I loved or something I'd ever think about watching again? No. I mean, I, I loved it. I, it was, it was, you know, it's a six man tag that's technically opening the show you know, it's there's not a story to tell. It's just do some cool shit. And and that's what they did. I, I thought the spots are really creative. Luchasaurus is so freaking talented and brings just a different dynamic compared to all those other guys who are about the same height and they do all the same flips. But that dude stands out for for what he is. And he was great in this. And uh, no, I enjoyed the, I really enjoyed the heck out of this match. All right. Well, I didn't, but I enjoyed the heck out of the next match that we're going to talk about, which on Dynamite, we had Adam Cole against Jungle Boy one-on-one. Cole got hung up in the Tree of Woe and hit a basement dropkick for a near fall, hit with a basement dropkick for a near fall. Jungle Boy then got a Poison Rana and a Last Shot-style forearm for another one, then a step-up Hurricanrana over the top rope outside for what I thought was the spot of the match by far. 
Cole caught him springing back in with a super kick, adding a Panama Sunrise for a great near fall. The crowd popped huge for that when Jungle Boy kicked out. Jungle Boy then dodged the last shot and countered with a snare trap. Cole got out of it eventually because Jungle Boy, uh, he was getting too close to the rope, so Jungle Boy basically let go. Uh, And Cole almost cornered the referee on the ropes so he could hit a mule kick uh, right through Jungle Boy's crotch region uh, while the referee was blind to it. Then he hit the last shot for the win. Fantastic match. Fantastic finish. They got about 14 minutes. This thing, you know both of those guys could go another 10. And if it did, it could have been match of the week. Honestly, that's how good it was. Uh, But it was still very, very good. I went 3.75 stars and a B plus. uh, Very close to an A. Just needed a little bit more time. But man, that was fun. It was a great opener on Dynamite. Yeah, loved it. And and the kick out, uh, the, the 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 Jungle Boy's kick out, I think on the, the Panama Sunrise, um, Cole sold it and Aubrey Edwards did a great job. She counts one, two, and he kicks out and she just stays there holding up the two fingers. And, and, and Cole stares at her for a little bit and she just stays there with the two. I thought it was a really uh, a nice little spot there. Yeah, I mean, this is what you expect from these guys. And I like, <coughs> we'll get into what happens after this, but I like that Cole is his own thing. He's not just coming in to be part of the faction. It makes him feel like such a bigger deal. And he has also timed up the boom on the entrance, which is something I pointed out a couple yes, weeks three ago. Weeks. It took him three <laughs> weeks, but he got it. Yes. yes. So that yeah. is good. Um, crowd goes nuts for the boom. They go nuts for everything. He, he's been, he has fit into this company so seamlessly. And that's not really a surprise knowing who he is and, you know his his relationship with everybody involved uh but he he just he just slid right in and, and his fit absolutely perfectly and this was an awesome match to start off the show i agree that he slid in and fit really well i don't agree that he's not just part of the elite because there's been no occasion in which he's actually been given the opportunity to stand on his own and that's on purpose because he's part of a faction so i mean that's that's just how it is that's not really i'm not saying that's a demerit to AEW but you know, it, there is something to be said for being on your own and a huge star somewhere else, like individually, and now coming in and, and still being a huge star, but immediately being part of a group right off the bat. So I don't actually believe that he's getting the opportunity to stand on his own. And because of that, I think his debut impact could be even greater, except even when he debuted, it was immediately overshadowed by Brian Danielson. And now every yeah. time he is in a match or wins a match, the Young Bucks are immediately out there right afterwards. So it's good they that are. It's good that they're not at ringside with him, but that's right. what AEW does consistently. Generally, the faction is not at ringside unless there's a storyline reason. Well, sometimes. I, I mean, him getting to do his full entrance, opening up the show, I guess opening up after CM Punk, um, getting to do that whole thing. Um, I, I feel like we haven't seen that as much from Omega. Uh, it seems like he's typically with them more than he's not. Well, Omega, Michael, Omega had that separation. Picture. You know, Omega had that separation for 18 months. And then they started well, the story. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. That's, that's a little bit of a difference there. Um, but okay, so let's talk about what happened after the match. The Elite all came out to celebrate Cole's win. Carl Anderson put everyone over. Cole said he's undefeated. There was some comedy stuff. Kenny Omega put over his great match with Brian Danielson, but said they would never fight again. So of course, Danielson came out, said he and the fans wanted a rematch, but Omega didn't because he doesn't have any balls. And fans started chanting, Kenny, no balls, which is very freaking funny, of course. Uh, Danielson issued a challenge against anyone for Rampage, then brought out Jurassic Express and Frankie Kazarian to chase off the elite. The back and forth between Omega and Danielson was extremely well done. 
The runout finish, it felt trite. It felt like something AEW always does. Very repetitive. And yes. they didn't need to run them out of the ring when they weren't attacking Danielson. Danielson was on his own on the ramp. So it, did it make him look like, look like cowards? It did. Sure. Uh, was it necessary? Didn't feel like it was. I thought it took away from the impact of Danielson's promo, his challenge to say, I will fight any of you at any time. And now I believe they booked Brian Danielson against Nick Jackson for Rampage, which should be yes. a great match. So I'm very excited about it. I'm just not sure why Omega didn't simply tell Brian, go build up your resume and deserve a title match like everyone else. Or, or why don't you go through every member of the elite? And then when you do, you can fight me. Like there were mm-hmm. so many other ways they could have done it that were better. But Omega and Danielson, the part of them, their back and forth promo, I did like that very much. Yeah, me too. It, it, it was good. The, the production on this segment was a little off. Like Brian's music hit and Kenny wasn't done talking. So he kind of had to finish the sentence. And then Brian walks out. And then, you know, uh, Jungle Express and, and Christian and them come down. But it also happens while somebody was talking. I think it was Kenny was talking. There's no music when they come out. So it was a little bit awkward. And it was, yeah, you're right. It wasn't necessary. Like, why? Just kind of run in, and I, I, I get the I get I guess the idea is the the elite's supposed to be cowardly, so they're going to run away from a fight. But it was it was a little awkward, just kind of that whole bit. Um, but I'm really looking forward to Dana Bryan versus Nick Jackson. That's for sure. Yeah, should be a really good. I'm not a huge fan personally of the Jacksons, but it should be a great match given it's one on one, and we're not going to hopefully have any tag team shenanigans, uh, which is really what I don't like. I think their young bucks are great wrestlers individually. I I don't really like the shenanigans. It's just not for me. Um, okay, Andrade El Idolo approached the Lucha Bros backstage, again asking where Pac is. The Lucha Bros randomly had their AAA tag team titles for the first time, I think, ever on AEW TV. And it seemed like Andrade challenged them, saying he has friends who could take their titles. This was a freaking mess. Andrade has been in AEW for 117 days. He's had two matches. Adam Cole's been in AEW for 24 days. He's had three matches. And this backstage shit is the same thing slightly different every time we see him. He's fired two managers. I think the goal was to bring in Ric Flair. Now they can't do that. I hope he's happier in AEW than he was in WWE because he's being used exactly the same, if not worse. I, so this is shit to me. Yeah, it's 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 been a mess since he arrived. It's been a mess literally from the moment he arrived. Yeah, um, from day one. And they have not figured out what to do, how to do it. Pac had scheduling issues, which caused other stuff. It's just kind of been trying to restart over and over. The guys are breaking out into Spanish in half of the promos. Still hard to understand Andrade. He's challenging for tag team belts, I guess. And it's the AAA. I think he has friends in AAA who are going to challenge them, not involving Andrade. Okay, but why is this showing up on my EW? I have no idea. I have no idea. Like, I get the forbidden door, but like. I, I want to watch AEW. I don't need all these other stuff going on. So, yeah. Yeah, this whole thing was just a mess. It was a mess. All right. Uh, Cody Rhodes and Lee Johnson fought Dante Martin and Matt Seidel. Martin kicked out of a vertebraker and hit a really nice springboard moonsault on Cody. Johnson tagged himself in, hit a neckbreaker over his knee to beat Martin. Fans booed Cody, who demanded Malachi Black come out. Arn Anderson told him to shut up and get his head straight. He called Black an assassin and said Cody's the type of guy who would let himself get carjacked while Arn Anderson would pull out a Glock and shoot this imaginary carjacker he's made up in the head. What the fuck? 
What the <laughs> fuck? Arn told Cody he didn't want to coach a loser and demanded Johnson come with him because at least Lee Johnson listens to Arn. First Goldberg on Raw, now Arn Anderson on Dynamite. What's with this talk of killing people on wrestling TV shows right now? I honestly could not believe Arn said that. Anyway, it takes a lot to make a Dante Martin match boring. This match was boring. I didn't like it at all. As far as Arn's promo, the energy, the context, all of that was great. And I love Cody being called a loser to his face. It's almost <laughs> like a villain in a, a, you know, a movie. They need a reason to turn. Everyone's turning their back on Cody, right? Lost his title. He lost this. He lost that. He lost his best friend, all this type of stuff. And now he's lost his coach. And he, he has every reason to now turn to the dark side. Everything about that promo was really good and really old school, and I liked it. I could have done without the reference to shooting someone in the head. Maybe that's just me. Cody's reaction when Arn pulls out the fake gun and points it at his head. That Cody's too, face, he mimed it also, yeah. like Cody's, Cody's face was like, Jesus, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> like, all right, I got it. Like, you don't need to do that. And I thought he was going to say, I... I punch the guy or whatever. Not I pull out a gun and fucking shoot him. Yeah, I beat the guy's ass, right? <laughs> yeah. I saw a funny tweet from somebody that said, Arn Anderson is part of the uh, the the .44 horseman. <laughs> and someone <laughs> someone made uh, Arn, but the R is the gun from the Sopranos. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, like, the, the people on Twitter who are annoyed by Cody, like, just enjoyed the idea of being like, Cody, you suck. And yeah, but yeah, but it again like that little bit kind of overshadowed what the rest of it was which you're right it it made sense and it was it was all that but the only thing people are going to remember from that is Arn Anderson pulling out a fake gun to shoot Cody in the head yeah like Arn and, Anderson has definitely murdered someone like he, he <laughs> there's there's skeletons in that closet i think CM Punk said like someone should research that the FBI is going to open a file <laughs> yeah. on his ass right now like holy <laughs> shit it, 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 yeah that was that was a, that was a lot. That it was, was. It was weird. Just Gold, Goldberg and Arn Anderson. Guys, you don't need to kill. It's wrestling. End someone's career, okay? Like, give me a better example. I uh, Carjacker tries to get me. I grab his shirt and I kick the shit out of him. I leave him bloody on the floor. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what, that's what I was expecting. <laughs> and they just... I pull out my Glock and I stick it in his head and blow his brains out. Come on, Arn. Holy shit. I also love, by the way, I have to, I have to note this. Uh, cause I tweeted it too. uh, Arn Anderson goes, I'm just too damn old. And I'm like, well, you're the same age as sting and stings wrestling on this, on this show, doing the scorpion Arn death drop one segment later. So. Arn Anderson has been 62 for 30 years. Yeah, that's true. That is also extremely true. All right, let's move on here. That was fun. Uh, we'll talk John Mox, Eddie Kingston. So we'll start with rampage. We had Mox and Kingston against Archer and Minoru Suzuki in a lights out match. Kingston was so freaking New York. In his promo, he might as well have been eating a folded slice of pizza while he was cutting it. It was awesome. Uh, Mox and Suzuki had a chair duel. Kingston and Suzuki traded blows. Archer chokeslam Mox off the ring apron into four dudes who were suddenly ring crew. We've never, ever seen that before, but they just happened to be there ready to catch Mox. Uh, Mox's hands got duct taped behind his back, and he got whipped with a strap by Suzuki, who later bit him in the face. Kingston was revived. 
only to be locked in a sleeper by Suzuki, then hit with a helicoaster from Archer. Uh, Kingston was about to be flipped on top of two chairs when Homicide ran in with a chair, hit Archer, freed Mox's hands, and got thrown out by Suzuki. Mox hit Suzuki with a paradigm shift. Kingston hit Archer with two back fists. Mox hit Archer with the paradigm shift. And Kingston put Archer in a trash can and beat on his head with a kendo stick for the one, two, three. This was very entertaining. The two commercial breaks, unfortunately, forced us to miss a lot of the match, but it was easily, easily the best match on Rampage. And Homicide, I thought, was a nice surprise. I I didn't love this as much as I guess a lot of other people did. I again I like the opening six-man tag, I think actually more than this. But one one thing I noticed, so the homicide thing happens in in you, you see they start playing music and you see his name pop up on the yeah on the, uh, the ramp and then they're like is it re- is it really is it really and they like had to like wait and wait and wait till he came out and then he finally comes out and the crowd reaction did not sound all that loud well he's not what 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 wait 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 okay but then later in the night i saw someone posted a, a tweet from inside the stadium when that popped up and people went crazy. Hmm. They did. So okay. I, I don't know if the, the just acoustics of or, or the mic work for whatever reason was not as good. But there have been a couple times last couple weeks when an AEW show and there's not a reaction as loud as I thought. But then I find some video from inside the arena and it is. So the homicide thing I went over better, I think, than it came across on TV, actually. OK, well, if it, I hope it did go over well, because, I mean, the guy is from Bed-Stuy, do or die. He's from Brooklyn, right. New York. Uh, he's a New York dude. It made sense. You know, the, the whole purpose of him being there was Tim Kingston, New York and the main event. Like that was yeah. the whole, whole reason he's not a huge name. I mean, he's kind of bounced around the Indies and he was in TNA for a bit ring of honor for a while. Um, you know, he's not, again, he's just not like a, a huge name. Cause a guy like him is not going to be in WWE. Right. Uh, and, and he came after WCW and ECW. So I thought it was nice. I'm not even a, a huge fan of his in particular, but I, I got it. Like I understood what they were doing and I was totally uh, entertained by it. But yes, there was something weird because Dynamite taped in the same venue, one immediately after the other. Dynamite was super loud. The acoustics were mm-hmm. incredible. It was great. Rampage. I have a feeling the crowd was still loud for a lot of the matches. It did not come across the same way. It came across very muted and I don't know why. Yeah, no, that that that's 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 it. And 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 you know, I like I get homicide in New York and Eddie Kingston and all that kind of stuff, but it is it was I guess it was I niche. Know, it was surprising. Niche. It's it's very very niche like the yeah. main event of your Friday show and you're just bringing out a guy who you know, uh, it, it's just you know, so they cater to the hardcore fans um a lot. Sometimes I I think it might be a bit too much not to take away from this. It was great to see him in a great moment and everything. But no, it's a fair, you know, it's a fair criticism. We we, we didn't. Yeah. I, I'm trying to think. Did we get much of um, Santana and Ortiz at uh, Arthur Ashe? They had a match that we're going to talk about actually coming up next. Okay, but yeah. did we get enough of them? No, we didn't. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. No, we didn't. Uh, so, but moving this on to Dynamite, we had Mox and Kingston plus Darby Allen against Bear Country and Anthony Green. Uh, the Bears, a German suplexes. Darby Allen did a coffin drop to them outside. Mox and Kingston no-sold a springboard splash from Green and hit their clothesline German suplex finisher for the win. Sting then hit a door, uh, scorpion death drop for the win. Uh, or not for the win, but after the match. Uh, Kingston then held up a Brody Lee sign afterward. And all I could do the whole time was wonder why this match happened. My assumption, they wanted to get 
three names that people like in front of fans for a tribute show. Um, but this kept going back and forth between a match booked for a tribute show and a regular episode of Dynamite. It's like it couldn't decide what it wanted to be. Right. This, I'm glad they got those people in front of this crowd for the show to, you know, I guess because of Brody. Um, but it didn't fit on the show at all. And it wasn't a good match at all. Not even close. I mean, yeah, it also starts off with CM Punk asking if it's Bear Country or Bear County. He wasn't sure. Right. Um, so <laughs> I wasn't was, sure either, to be honest with you. I, yeah, they're not on TV. So, why, yeah, right. You know, so this was, yeah, just kind of whatever. There, there was quite a bit on Dynamite, obviously. The, the beginning was great. The end was great. Most of what was in the middle was just kind of filler. That's actually 100% right. I would say the first 30 and the last 30. And the middle hour for me was not. And, and look, you're coming off your big Arthur Ashe show. You're going to have episodes like that for sure. I just, this 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 episode of Dynamo is just kind of meh, I think. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Uh, but we'll go back to Rampage since you mentioned Santana and Ortiz. They teamed with the Lucha Bros against the HFO. A lot of stuff happened in this. Uh, Orange Cassidy, KO Jack Evans with a Superman punch. Mark Quinn landed on his feet on an impressive shooting star press. Lucha Bros hit Fear Factor while Santana and Ortiz hit Street Sweeper for the win. The finish was fun. The match was nothing to write home about. I do wish Santana and Ortiz, this is to your point, had a bigger, better moment in front of yeah. the home crowd. Um, I don't know why they didn't. It, it, it seemed like they just had to get, because of Danielson and Omega, it changed what they were going to do. Maybe they didn't find out about Brian until kind of late in the process. I don't know. It, it, again, it seemed like Santana and Ortiz really should have had a big moment on this show, and they never did. Uh, and then backstage, Matt Hardy issued a hair versus hair challenge between Orange Cassidy and Jack Evans, which I thought was hysterical heel manager shit to like <laughs> be so amped up, so angry, issuing a huge challenge, and you just pick a dude in your stable and, as opposed to do it yourself. Uh, it was the best part, I thought, of this entire segment match, the whole deal. Yeah, I mean, you and I... Fantasy booked a few weeks out, you know, Kingston could win the TNT title in New York and Santana and Ortiz could win the tag titles. In yeah. New York. Like, and yeah. those are guys who have been with the company for a bit and, and, and would deserve such accolades. So they were booking, so that, sorry to interrupt you. They were booking yeah. an Eddie Kingston Miro rematch and then they yeah. just stopped and they changed it, you know, for what happened tonight that we'll talk about in a moment. So it seemed like they were going to do that and then they just decided not to. I don't know if they just preferred to have Kingston with Moxley for the tag match or, or what, but yeah, just kind of, again, the whole th New York thing was kind of surprising. I think it was the Suzuki thing. I think because that match didn't yeah. work, they got him to agree to have another one. And because they needed Kingston for that, they didn't put the title yeah. on him. No, uh, yeah, I, I, I get it. So, but they wanted and, to and, take the title off Miro. So therefore they had Sammy have the yeah. match on Dynamite. That's what I think. Yeah. Happened. yeah. For, as for this hair versus hair stipulation, um, I hope it's worth it, man. I, I mean, this is, <laughs> me too. This is not this is not a hot feud. This is not right. a major matchup. Like you're gonna and Orange Cassidy has basically a buzz cut. I mean, close to it. So it's like what hair? I mean, I know? guess I get. I mean, I, I assume Cassidy's gonna win. I guess this possibly doesn't. But no, no, I he's mean, gonna win. You're, yeah, he's if gonna. you're Jack Evans, you, it takes a while to grow that long hair. I hope. Uh, I do agree I with the idea that if you have someone in your company who wants to cut their hair to do a hair versus yes, hair match, that's what they should have done with you Corbin. Should. Yeah, uh, that's absolutely. what WWE should have done with Corbin back 100%. in the day. 100%. So, yeah. All right, moving on to Dynamite. We had Orange Cassidy and Dark Order versus the HFO in a 16-man tag team match to honor Brody Lee. Some of the Dark Order tried to leave, so the women, Brody's wife Amanda and Negative One, yelled at them, threw papers at them, which was an homage to Brody. Um, so they all kind of went back to the ring, did a bunch of crazy moves, all outside the ring onto the heels outside. Cassidy hit Matt Hardy with an orange punch. 
They had a ton more moves on some dude I didn't even recognize with <laughs> the fatality being the finisher before the one, two, three. Dark Order all shook hands and hugged with Amanda watching them. This was not about the match, and therefore I'm not going to talk about the match. This was about the moment, and it was a great moment. It popped the crowd. It popped me at home. Negative one got to go on their shoulders. Uh, Amanda got to celebrate with all of Dark Order. It was a very sweet moment, and I'm glad that they got to do it. That's it. Yep, very, very much so. I, I thought this should have opened the show. I, I, I mean, Agreed. It's, it's a it's a tribute match. Like like yep. they, they they kept talking about Brody, but we never really like kind of got to that moment or whatever it was supposed to to be. Um, small thing, but I didn't think Orange Cassidy needed to be in this match. Like you she, uh, Orange Cassidy is negative one's favorite wrestler. That's why he was. Oh, there. okay. I take that back. I take yeah. that back. Um, so that's that makes sense. Um, yep. And uh, yeah, no, Evil Uno tweeted afterward that basically he had been a, a poor leader. He couldn't live up to Brody, but he realizes he was in the wrong and they're back together. And this is a nice story they told over the last handful of weeks about um, uh, within the Dark Order to kind of lead up to this. So it was good. I actually uh, felt kind of stupid because I didn't see it coming. Like I, I didn't realize <laughs> I, I, I don't think I realized no, that, I, I didn't either. Yeah, I didn't realize that this Rochester show was this week and then that. Oh, yeah, of course, they're going to do a Dark Order struggle storyline and it's going to come together because of Amanda and negative. Like it made so much sense, but I'd never, I didn't see it. Like I just didn't notice that it was coming. Mm-hmm. So I actually appreciated that it paid off that storyline. And also I'm appreciative that it ended that storyline because it wasn't a good storyline at all, but at least they gave us a storyline going into the show and paid it off. So it was, it did make sense. It all came together. And, and one thing about the match, I'll just say it. Cause it comes back to something you talk about. It ends with a very long, long drawn out, multiple finisher dark order thing which i i loved watching it but you know they almost forgot who the legal man was at the end well of course yes and, I, and, was and CM, the, and, I was staying away from the criticism I know, for this but i'm only bringing it up because cm punk mentioned it at the end of the match he was like where is the five count uh this is a little bit hectic so i i just wanted to acknowledge that cm punk i was being nice ag- was acknowledge being... something you have pointed out i was trying so. to be very nice and not bring it up in this match, no it's but... fine yeah it, it's <laughs> i I, do, I just want to mention that cm punk sees it too yeah, of course. Um, then we had Leo Rush uh, show up on screen in a promo saying Tony Khan wanted him to be all elite. So he is. Then he randomly started explaining leverage buyouts and <laughs> called himself LBO Leo. Uh, it's cool to see him. Don't get me wrong. Cool to see him land with AEW after his second retirement inside of the last year. If it lasts a while and he stays in AEW, which we certainly cannot count on, given the way his WWE career went, given the way his rep post wrestling career in WWE has gone. It's a good signing. Leo Rush is very exciting. He's a great wrestler. Um, you know, I don't know where he factors into what they're doing, but it seemed like this time he had a promo. He had a, a storyline, a gimmick. Um, so it seems like they have plans for him and he's super talented. Like I said, he's one of the most electric dudes in the ring. And there's some other really electric dudes in AEW that he's going to get to work with. Yeah, no, I'm I'm excited to see him um do some things. I he was was he dealing with some injuries or something? He a, a bit too, yeah, he was working with the New Japan and he yeah. injured, he got he made his AEW debut, but I don't think he was officially signed. He got injured, he retired, he decided to come out of retirement to fulfill the dates with New Japan that he promised. Um, right, and then I think while he was doing those, maybe he realized he could still go, and then he signed with AEW now. Yeah. It's convoluted, man. It is. Yeah, it really. Is. I, I don't know. So we'll we'll, we'll see. Um, the LBO thing explaining leverage buyouts. I mean, sure. Uh, it, right. it's, it's an attempt at a character. We'll see. I don't think he's 
I don't think he's going to be purchasing wrestlers and I don't think he needs the, that them. character at all. Yeah, I don't I don't think he does either. So, yeah. uh, we'll see, but again, it's just another, you know, here's another decent sized name coming over um to a roster that is already loaded. I hope everybody can find some PV time. Yep, for sure. All right, on Rampage, we had Chris Jericho and Jake Hager against the men of the year. Jericho had a springboard dropkick and a lion salt for a near fall. The inner circle had Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page in dual submissions when Dan Lambert distracted them. Hager was, was running the ropes when Lambert grabbed his leg, allowing Sky to catch him and with an inside cradle for the win. MMA fighters surrounded the ring afterward as Jericho and Hager were about to take out Lambert. They attacked and the crowd, as best I could tell at least, was silent. Uh, Paige Van Zant punched Jericho in the stomach a couple times. And then Jorge Masvidal hit the knee, the running knee that he used to, I believe, embarrass Ben Askren in seconds. This was shit. Uh, I have no desire to see American Top Team or Lambert anymore. And I was into it at the very, very beginning. Uh, Men of the Year have been jammed into this seemingly for no reason. As we saw Friday on Dynamite, I'm going to keep going and then you can get in here. Yeah, They don't need Lambert to talk for them. They are both very good promos on their own. So Lambert was on Dynamite. He credited Jericho for making AEW relevant. He cut some really long promo that seemed like he wrote it out in a script and just memorized it before the show. The crowd chanted STFU, the actual words. And that's how I felt too, not in a kayfabe way, in a get off my TV way. Uh, Go away heat is what what that's known as. Uh, Scorpio Sky then said, he's one of the best in AEW and has been one of the best since it started. And then Ethan Page finally, like, saved the segment, in my opinion, showing some passion and cut a really good promo on the trio. But all of them said nothing. It was three people speaking and nothing was actually said of relevance. The whole thing was completely unnecessary. It did not need to be on Dynamite coming out of what happened on Rampage. I only liked Page's part. As far as the Rampage match, it sucked. And the post-match, I guess they got maybe some headlines with Page Van Zant and Jorge Masvidal. That's good if they did. Um, the crowd didn't seem to care. I certainly didn't care as a viewer. In, in a vacuum, the post-match beatdown on Rampage was fun and notable, and Jericho sold the hell out of that knee and made it look good. Um, but Paige Van Zandt did like the Shane McMahon quick punches, so they're like hard to sell if you're Jericho. Um, and that that was fine, but yeah, I don't need Dan Lambert anymore. Why are we having Dan Lambert spend five minutes on a promo and then having the men of the year talk? It's 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 too much talking. And you're right. They didn't say anything. Again, outside of the fun opening and the title change at the end, nothing of consequence happened on on, on Dynamite. Um, and I don't... Ethan Page showed why he is extremely talented and I think he needs to be off on his own. He does. Scorpio Sky yep. is very talented as well, but I think they're kind of in each other's way. And American Top Team on top of that only only covers them up even more. Um, I think you got to get these guys on their own. Get them away from American Top Team. Yeah. I, I just don't know what this is doing for anyone. I don't know where it's going, and I don't know why it's still happening. If they had done it up until you know, the show, the Queen show, and then that was the end of the storyline, then okay, right? Like there's right. something there, but it's still going. And Dan Lambert's on TV every week. I don't need Dan, Dan Lambert on TV every what, week. I just what, don't. What, what is the ultimate point of this feud? I, I have that no res- idea. That wrestling fans live in their basement? So the inner I, circle I, can get up on them at some point, maybe? I, 
Maybe. Maybe. Like a, you have like an MMA, like you have three MMA guys plus um, men of the year versus inner circle. But like you don't need it every week if it's not going no, anywhere. I, it's so weird. It's so weird. All right. We got some more stuff. Three more things. Uh, on Rampage, we had Penelope Ford against Anna Jay. The bunny distracted the referee and threw brass knuckles to Ford. So Penelope hit Anna with the weapon for the win. The heels attacked Anna, leading Ty Conti to make the save. But Penelope got her with the Nux as well. Then the HFO came out. Orange, Chris Statlander, and Dark Order ran in, and that was it. The storyline was the women brought the Dark Order together, and they saved her from men who obviously would never have touched her. Uh, but Evil Uno and Stu Grayson walked off. The whole thing was a mess. I hated it. They did explain, obviously, the Dark Order part. It paid, played into Dynamite, so that at least made sense. And the Brass Nux with the Bunny coming in and Ty Conti coming in set up the tag team match for Dynamite. So there was a reason for it. It just wasn't good. And then on Dynamite, we got TJ versus Ford and Bunny. Ford missed a moonsault. Conti hit Ty KO outside. Jay then won with the Queen Slayer submission. The match got six minutes, including the double commercial break in the normal spot. So it got about as much screen time as a SmackDown women's match. None of that is good. The wrestling was okay. It, it was nothing to write home about. The fact that you have this Dan Lambert shit and you can't give this match 10 to 12 minutes, it's a joke. Yeah, I, I thought the wrestling was fine. You would have liked to see more of it. The whole thing on Rampage was very convoluted because everything is faction warfare, basically, at the moment. Um, and yeah, it was fine. It was right. again, it was kind of just whatever. All right. Now we're getting into what I thought were the two best segments, yes. period, of Dynamite. Back to back to end the show. By far, in my opinion, the two best things. These would have been the best segments on any show. Uh, any wrestling show probably this week, or maybe not any wrestling show because that Raw main event was pretty fire. But um, these two were awesome is my point. I loved them. The first was MJF in the ring cutting a promo. Uh, but before that, actually, I should note, over the weekend, he cut a promo on Twitter that was better than anything he has done promo-wise in probably three or four months. He made a really funny remark about VKM and sending those guys over to AEW because Tony wants to basically give everyone else an opportunity except for him. It was a really good promo on Twitter. I hated that it didn't get on TV. But on Dynamite, he was in the ring. He put himself over as the best of the four young pillars in AEW and said he deserves to be champion. MJF said if Tony Khan doesn't ante up and kind of give him a title match soon, he has Bruce Pritchard on speed dial referencing he would just go to WWE. Uh, Darby Allen came out and MJF said he looks like a school shooter, which I didn't really like, uh, Ooh, yeah. who is the second best young guy on the roster besides him, just like Sting used to be the second best guy on the WCW roster. Darby told him to go and said he's for AEW for life until death and also the only one of the two between them to ever win a title in AEW. MJF made fun of his Batman voice and referenced Darby's alcoholic uncle, who killed himself in a drunk driving accident with Darby in the car in reality, by the way, saying it was a travesty because the wrong person died. Uh, Darby controlled himself, saying he won't be broken mentally, and MJF got really frustrated by that, so he left. I wrote this was easily, without question, the best thing on the entire show, but I wrote that before I saw the main event. But to this point, through the first hour and, I don't know, 40 minutes, this was easily the best thing on the entire show, didn't love the school shooter line. That's a very minor gripe. Everything else was absolutely nails. Uh, MJF promo-wise crushed it. Darby Allen played a great straight man to it. It was awesome. 
Yes. First off, they changed this, I think, a couple weeks ago, I think. Um, it's something I thought they needed to do for a while. The opening of MJF's music, they have taken away the I'm better than you and you know it. Mm. And I'm glad they did because the opening notes of his song are great and they're immediately identifiable. The da-na-na at the beginning. So I think, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. What I is the Sports that- Center? <laughs> it's kind of the same but it's a little thing but i love entrance music is a big deal to me if you listen to this podcast you know that so and i love his song so i just i noticed that i want to say it here um school shooter line i agree that is a bit different than brian talking about brian pillman in hell or even talking about darby's uncle because i'm sure they clear that with them and those people have talked about that stuff before um didn't love the school shooter line the uncle thing like i said i'm darby has talked about it i think it was in he's had it in promos and vignettes and stuff before um and i'm again i'm sure they went over it and it's it's fine um darby had a piece of confetti in his hair <laughs> a piece of white confetti it was, it, it was you can only really see it if you're looking for it yeah I didn't but i'm that, yeah. just really surprised that happened <laughs> and nobody noticed it um little thing in the end doesn't really matter but mjs promo was great i liked darby allen being the straight man and then when mjf leaves punk says you know this is what happens when you stand up to bullies Mm -hmm. they they retreat and that was exactly the right line perfect that makes dar that makes darby look tough uh in, in standing up to mjf and having someone back him up to explain that as opposed to just MJF leaving. It's also about Darby. So that was a little thing that was really, I think, impactful. Tremendous segment. MJF is must watch every single time he's on my TV. Um, I it, that's this is why I'm, again, I said last week I was so surprised he didn't cut a promo at Arthur Ashe Stadium before the match. I, I can't believe they didn't do that because this guy is absolute uh, magic Money. on the mic. I guess to use uh, <laughs> to use another phrase, but um, uh, yeah, this is great. Well, some might say about MJF that he has it and that person will be Chris Jericho. Uh, But yes, uh, MJF has it. We've known he has it. This was a perfect uh, promo, perfect segment. And yeah, the punk line really, it was the exclamation point on top of the entire thing. It sold. It sold where if you didn't recognize what was happening, punk told you exactly what was happening. And that is what good commentary does. And he was very good in that moment. And then the main event, the TNT championship was on the line. Miro defending against Sammy Guevara. Sammy slammed Miro's face into the top of the steel steps, but Miro caught Sammy flying with a shooting star press and slammed him. Uh, Guevara took some huge moves, including a release German suplex, but caught Miro with a standing Spanish fly in a really impressive spot for a guy Miro's size. Sammy then threw himself over the ring post with a sick cannonball. He avoided a pump kick and hit a couple pump knees before adding a flying cutter. Sammy failed to lift Miro for the GTH, so Miro thrust kicked his head off. Miro ripped at all the turnbuckle pads, uh, the top turnbuckle pads. Sammy then came back in the ring, kneed him into one. He he fell face first into one. Then Sammy hit a tornado DDT and the GTH, then gave Miro double birds and hit a 630 cent on for the 1-2-3 to become the new TNT champion. This was hot. Fire. It was an incredible match. You guys know, anyone who listens to the show, when I talk about AEW, you know Sammy is my favorite of the original, like never been in WWE 
AEW wrestlers and the guy I think has the highest ceiling in this company and beyond. As soon as this match was booked for the show, it seemed like a TNT title change was inevitable. I loved that it was clean with Miro getting an excuse for losing basically at his own hands. It was his fault. He removed all the turnbuckle covers. Everything about this worked. It ties for me with Biggie and Lashley as best match of the week. And if you made an argument and said this match was better, I would 100% accept it. They were just two completely different matches. One was legitimately big, meaty men slapping meat. Another was big, meaty man slapping meat with high risk, you know, maneuver dude, uh, you know, meeting him in every possible way. I loved this. I thought it was Miro's best match so far in AEW. 4.25 stars and an A. Best match of the night, tied for best match of the week. Hell of a match, hell of a main event. Those two segments back-to-back, MJF and Miro and Sammy. Incredible way to end the show. Yeah, for some reason, I didn't like think much about it until the match kind of got started. And then I was like, oh, I, I guess this could happen. I hadn't really thought about it. I just kind of, we'd been seeing Miro beat down Fuego for a bit. So there, they, there was that built-in story that they've kind of been telling over the last few weeks. And what did I say? I think it was last week. I said, what happened to Sammy Guevara? I, I, I said, you bring in Daniel Bryan, Adam Cole, all these other people, and people like Sammy Guevara have been pushed down the totem pole, these these young AEW originals who really carried the company for two years. These guys need to get some shine, and Sammy was at the top of that list. So what happens now? He becomes an <laughs> AEW champion. So yeah. thank you. Um, match was great, like you said. I, I, I think I'd give... Biggie Lashley a bit of an edge, uh, but just a little bit. This this was obviously the match of the night, without a doubt. Um, Miro ripping off all the turnbuckles was a little confusing or whatever, kind of unnecessary, but nitpicking really. Um, excited for Sammy to get the title and and to see where things go next. I think uh, I think Miro tweeted afterward that he was going to have a talk with his god <laughs> about it. So I really enjoyed Miro as champion. Um, I just frankly wish we had him in more matches as champion. I, I want the TNT title to be an open challenge, defended almost every week. It should be on that's what, TV. That's what Darby did. Darby defended it yeah. every week. And yeah. Cody threw it a little bit. That's what it's supposed too. to be. Yeah. But I don't know if because you only have two hours, or I guess now you have three hours. Um, Miro was just like for weeks, it was just backstage promos, taped promos. Just let these dudes go. This needs to be the worker's belt. And, um, Based on the post-interview with Sammy, uh, I'm hoping that's what it's going to be moving forward. Yeah, and long story short on that, he he expressed to the crowd his um, excitement for winning. And Bobby Fish, uh, formerly of NXT, 44-year-old Bobby Fish, uh, tweeted that, hey, I, I'm not in the company, but I'd love to crack open the forbidden door and get a shot. And I think everyone uh, you know, who saw the tweet thought it was just like Bobby trying to get a shot in AEW. But it was actually a storyline because uh, to your point, uh, you told me this, that Sammy basically read the tweet on air and said, okay, you can have the match and they're going to fight next week. So boom, next week, Bobby Fish. You know, you're right there. Um, so that's nice. Uh, to, to wrap up Dynamite, uh, all the 30-second promos, I group them together. Britt Baker teased Ruby Soho for losing and said that she needs to work her way back up to the top of the division just to get a shot. Ruby basically agreed with that. FTR said they were refocused. Hikaru Shida said she's looking to win her 50th match. While Serena Deeb, who I feel like I haven't seen in months, uh, said she won't let her get it. I'm actually really excited for that match. Sheeta versus Deeb is going to be incredible. And then Jade, uh, Thunder Rosa, and Nyla Rose 
are going to have a triple threat match on Rampage. They all got five second promos to promote that. I do think that match is going to be exciting as well. Uh, but those are all the 30 second promos. Did you have any thoughts or comments about any of those? Uh, no, I'm just I'm excited for Thunder Rosa versus Jade versus Nyla. Love all of those. They've they've built this over the last couple of weeks with promos and trying to get this match to happen. So I'm excited that it's going to happen. Cool. So that's it. Uh, that's AEW Dynamite and Rampage. I think, you know, look, the Grand Slam show was extremely exciting. Uh, Dynamite, I did think Rampage was a step down, just match quality. Forget the crowd for a moment. The match quality, the booking, it just, it was a huge difference from that Dynamite. And that Dynamite, you know, I don't want to get it twisted. There were some really good matches, on, a couple really good matches on that show. It was not actually, like if you if you compared it to all the Dynamites we've gotten since July, it was actually not one of their better Dynamites. It just happened to have Kenny Omega versus Brian Danielson on it, which was maybe one of the best TV matches that AEW's ever put on, arguably the best TV match that AEW's ever put on. So, you know, that's that. And then this week, I was a little surprised, you know, outside of the opening segment and outside of the two closing segments, I really did not like the rest of Dynamite uh, this week. But as we've seen from AEW, their booking has improved dramatically since fans returned and since they started going back on the road. Mm -hmm. And even though I didn't necessarily love this show, um, I appreciated it for what it was. I understand a lot of it was to honor Brody Lee. And certainly I have every belief, and this is part of what we always talk about, the trust in AEW, that, okay, this show wasn't great, even though there were some great parts to it. Next week will probably end up being a very good show. Yeah, like you've got the anniversary next week. You're coming off the Earth of Rash. This was going to be a down show, and it was, but they still gave you a title match. They still gave you Adam Cole versus Jungle Boy. Um, so, you know, you they got gave Kenny you Omega, you got Brian Danielson, you got yeah. CM Punk, my, you got to see him at least. Yeah. My biggest thing with a wrestling show, and this is what I've been saying about Raw, is that just like you got to have some things happen uh, on the show. Just, just give me a couple things that happen that matter, and, you know, I'll go along with the rest. Raw for so long was just nonsense just right. nothing in right. aw for since ever since fans have come back have been giving you something big every week and now raw is starting to do it too uh so uh, i'm excited for next week and, and where it goes from there no doubt about it okay so that is our full breakdown of aew rampage and dynamite of course earlier in today's show you heard my full breakdown of the third episode of the new era of nxt and at this point we're going to stop counting individual episodes but that is where we are with NXT. I appreciate all of you guys listening. Do not forget to tune in. Thursday, we will have a special episode of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, our WWE Mock Draft. We will also be talking Dark Side of the Ring, Plane Ride from Hell. That is coming out Thursday afternoon. So it's a four-episode week. You've already heard the WWE Extreme Rules Incident Analysis. You've already heard the WWE Raw and SmackDown breakdown. Of course, today, AEW and NXT. And yes, we will be having the WWE Mock Draft plus the Dark Side of the Ring show all coming up Thursday before the week is out. So thank you all for listening to the show. Do not forget that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. So leave those five-star ratings and reviews for us on Apple Podcasts. And please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. For Vintage Chris Benini, this is the Silver King Adam Silverstein bidding you adieu. So with that, I will leave you with three final words. Bye for now.